Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Sergey, founding partner of Longe VC, a venture capital company supporting early-stage biotech and longevity-focused founders that are changing the world. Sergey is a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded three deep tech ventures and raised more than $40 million in venture funding for his own ventures and as an entrepreneur in residence. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Sergey, welcome to the European VC podcast. Super nice to have you here today. How's everything? Thank you for having me. Everything is exciting and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, man. So are we, it's actually, it's actually interesting. So um, you are joining us, um, you know, to talk about an interesting topic called longevity. And I have to start by asking, how the hell does one end up being a longe- longevity specialized investor? That is an uncommon uh, route, I would say. I think it's a it's a very individual road to go for for everyone I guess in this field because if you if you sample longevity investors across you know several funds and you ask them the very same question they would give you very different answers of how they actually ended up in the in the space but uh, the reality of it is um, in, in my case I, I kind of and, and this is by the way true for for the other two partners in the fund or three partners in the fund um, we kind of ended up by constantly emerging ourselves more and more into uh, medical devices, into pharma, and then we ended up essentially in longevity as a, as a part of biotech, as a, as a very dedicated part of, of pharma tech, uh, which, it is, which it is now. By the way, the most fastest growing part of biotech as we, as we speak. So uh, um, it, it, was, it was a very, uh, it was a very uh, gradual move. I mean, for, for myself, for the sake of background, um, I actually, I am a founder by background, right? So I started my first company when I was 22 years old. Um, and that was in engineering. That was not in biotech at all. So that was an engineering startup for one of the super conservative industries out there, right? Which was actually oil and gas. I then, we then co-founded another company. So I was always fascinated by life sciences. I never had an education, uh, mind you, in life sciences. So I never had a medical background or anything. So we then started another company in medical devices. So that was the first step into sort of the, the biotech business, if you wish. Uh, and that company in medical devices was specifically in um, uh, drug eluting implant coatings. So we were creating drug eluting coatings for orthopedic and dental implants for sort of personalized treatment, right? And uh, you know, easing all the post-operative effects for patients like inflammation, stimulating bone growth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we then decided, well, and I decided specifically that I'd like to um, spend even more time and, and dive even deeper into pharma. Uh, and in my case, that was, uh, you cannot simply start working in pharma um, if you don't have the education and track record. So, so for me, I was capable of kind of started to work with um, early stage therapeutic startups. Uh, specifically, in my case, that was fields of cardiovascular disease and the neurodegenerative diseases, so CVD and neurodegenerative. And I worked, collaborated with them as, as an entrepreneur in residence, pretty much. I helped them fundraise. I helped them define their clinical strategies. So once they go into the human phases, and I also uh, helped them define their IP protection strategies. And IP has been sort of my 
my specific field of interest, right? Because in biotech intellectual property is, is sort of a make it or break it component. Um, so um, th that this is how I spent, you know, another three years of my life. Um, and then we have co-founded another company, uh, which dealt specifically with speeding up clinical trials for pharma and optimizing patient identification and patient onboarding into clinical trials. And quite organically, we ended up in a situation where throughout all these dealings with all the previous endeavors of ours, um, we ended up knowing um, people that uh, were gradually becoming KOLs in longevity and gradually becoming KOLs in HOA diseases. Right, so so we organically kind of grew the network around us. Sorry, sorry, wait. KOLs meaning key opinion leaders. That's a term. yes. Not, not that everyone is, that might is be true. familiar with. <laughs> that is true. So so we uh, yeah we, we grew the network of essentially key people um, in in longevity and HOA the diseases fields. Um, we also grew the network of um, relationships with key research institutions, uh, which are very active in spinning off basically most promising science and making startups out of it, right? Which is very common in the, in the US, in the US part of the world. So this is how we pretty organically, I would say, ended up as a team in, um, in longevity, right? And then, and then every partner has a different twist uh, and, and it's like a different role uh, that was, that was completed, but yeah, here we are. And if I remember correctly, the first time we chatted, um, we spoke a bit about the origin of the fund and what you guys were doing before. And you, you guys also had, at least yourself, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, some track record as Angel. So I'd love to ask you a bit about that transition from Angel to fund manager. Right. So I think the, the most prominent background, uh, Angel background, is, is actually with uh, Gary, one of our partners. And this is where... This is where Gary was, um, when, when longevity uh, existed only that as a team of people, it didn't exist as a fund, right? So it was not yet formalized in a, in a vehicle, uh, in an entity. Um, Gary was the one behind um, essentially backing, pre-seed backing some of, the, some of the very famous longevity companies as we, as we know them now, right? Where one of which is, of course, in Silicon Medicine. And uh, in Silicon Medicine grew to be um, a powerhouse for AI for drug discovery, right? And this is where, uh, you know, it was a very early, very early investment that was led by Gary and then sort of put together by Gary um, in, in a company which is, which is now a unicorn, right? So they're, I think, close to 2 billion in valuation, contracts with major pharma, et cetera, et cetera. There were also deals done in animal longevity. There were also deals done in uh, the field of aging clocks specifically. But then again, I mean, if you're doing, if you're doing angel investing, um, you can kind of only do this much, right? So, so you have you have limited capital. You are pretty limited in terms of the due diligence resource that you can deploy. Um, you can pretty limited in you are pretty limited in uh, the stage where you can participate. So, realistically, I think for, for a lot of for a lot of business angels um, that are well versed in a specific field and spend time in a specific field, uh, transitioning into the fund is a, is a very organic move. Mm -hmm. And then again, a lot of people in longevity in general, and this is also the case with, with us as, as partners, uh, we also have our own personal footprint with longevity or age-related diseases in general, right? So some have cases of age-related diseases in the family, which were, you know, which, which ended tragically or are continuing to, to evolve, right? But with no reasonable resolution, because these are diseases that you cannot actually treat um, as, as of now. Some like myself. Uh, for example, so I, I can be considered a rare disease patient 
by, by pharma standards. I'm on the neurological, so neuro, neurodegenerative side. Uh, and this is where it's not me running around and, you know, searching for treatment, but rather, you know, me understanding that I was actually 27 years old when I uh, had the opportunity to feel how it is to be an 80-year-old, right, where you basically lose some of your basic functions uh, to certain degenerative processes. In my case, these return back, right, but, but technically speaking, like, I felt that, and it sucks. It, 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 it is very mentally and, and physically hard, you know, to, to find yourself in the deterioration spiral. So, you know, a, a lot of this ending up on the longevity movement has to do with, with the personal component to it as well. And yeah, uh, it's a combo. It's always a combo, but um, very, very practically from being an angel into starting a fund, it's just a bump up in your capacity to, to back these projects. So Sergey, I'm always super curious to understand the background of the LP base of something that has such a strong visionary component, just as you know, the impact side and the, the, uh, the climate side of VC firms typically have LPs with a certain profile. Is it the same for you? It's actually a very interesting question. Um, so when we, uh, it, it's not very typical, the, the short answer is, uh, so, so when we started to put a fund together, um, we obviously, our first base of LPs that we reached out to were our private network, right? So people that we worked with, people that knew us as, 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 as you know, from previous businesses as professionals. Um, and what we have quickly realized is that a lot of LPs that, that consider longevity um, to be um, a, the, next, the next big uh, field uh, where to deploy capital, they, they don't necessarily have the biotech background, uh, but they do understand that this is the, the place to be. So this is going to be the industry, the part of biotech that will experience the highest growth uh, in the next decade. So for, for a lot of LPs, um, joining a fund is also a very educational component um, where we have LPs that made their money elsewhere. They made their money in software, for example, right? Or, or even, uh, you know, traditional businesses, essentially. But they're using, they're using the fund and they're using the fact that they're joining the fund as the educational base for them to understand the industry better. More to that, so when we started to, to, to build and put together the LP base, we realized that the added value that, that, that we as general partners should provide to our LPs is this proactive educational component. And this is where um, we actually make sure that we inform them um, about the logic behind the decisions, about the logic behind deals. We, when we have an allocation of biotech, biotech VCs, we, we, always, we always act in the in the area of allocations right so so we, we 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 try to get into deals that are not necessarily on the market so when the fund has an allocation uh we always try to carve out a piece to offer our lps a co-investment opportunity for example where they would follow the fund they would follow our due diligence yeah. and this is how we kind of expose them gradually to this to this field but, but realistically answering uh, getting back to your question um it, it is a mix some of the investors already have the biotech uh, biotech exposure and they yeah. want longevity specifically they want to enjoy the diseases um, and it's best to do it with a fund because yeah. we as a team understand it better essentially and some actually wants to, wants to, edu want to educate themselves yeah. and, and that's also true but, for a lot of LPs. So now I'm going to use a word that's not necessarily nice and it isn't meant that but I'm, a, I'm right in saying that you don't have many that have a pure play money grab 
with the investment. It's not about it's not only about the returns for for most of your LPs. It's actually because they they care for the space and want to understand the space. I think it's it's always yeah. yeah of course, you know you're always in it for the returns as well. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd go to evening school. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not a non-profit, right? So, so everyone, uh, the fund is being put together for the yeah. purpose of yeah, yeah, multiplying yeah. LP capital, right? So for the purpose of doing, uh, making um, successful investments. That being said, this fact doesn't uh, exclude no, no, the no, other no, thing, no, no. which yeah. is when making yeah. investments, you can actually make yeah. impactful investments and you can actually push the field forward, field forward, right? By, by creating these these next-gen success yeah. stories in the longevity field. And when you're creating these next-gen success stories, more capital comes yeah. into the field, right? And you are kind of contributing to the whole, to the whole sort of yeah. well-being of, of yeah. the industry. So, so the answer is it's both. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our LPs trust us to make financial decisions, yeah. um, but, it, but it's also, of course, a, a, a certain visionary component yeah. to it. Uh, but then again, I mean, Biotech has, has good multipliers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So um, I didn't say that for, for this regard returns at all. I, 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 it was more to kind of you know, yeah. frame, frame the. It's a combo. It's a combo. Yes, it's, it's a combo. Of okay. But, um, David, would you be okay with me asking Sergey to dive super deep into where he sees, uh, um, you know, longevity as a space going and why, what, because you've said it a couple of times, Sergey, we are, you know, it's going to be for the next 10 years in longevity that biotech is going to grow. I'd love to hear more why that is and, and how you think about that. And yeah, I'd maybe just add that I was, I was actually hoping to also ask Sergey to kind of give us your definition of what longevity is, right? Because some, some investors are doing longevity from a pure tech play. Others are doing right. it from a pure biotech play. I think you guys are doing a hybrid, so it'd be great to have, okay, what do you guys understand as longevity? And then effectively what Andreas said is, well, where do you see it moving forward and why you think why you're so kind of bullish on it? Right. So so I would I would tackle it from from different angles. So first and foremost, there is this thing which I always always repeat, and that is um, we do not invest in life extension as a fund. What we invest is uh, we invest in um, prolonging healthy human performance. Right. And we invest in disease modifying therapies or disease modifying approaches that would allow us to remove certain age related barriers that limit its healthy human performance or can abruptly stop us from performing altogether, right? And these, these, these are what age-related disease uh, diseases are. So when, when, we, when you think about longevity, um, we, we as a VC, we have a pragmatic mandate, okay? So which means um, it, it, this, is, this, is not, this is not the turf of, of talking about the longevity pill or, or any sort of garage magic type of thing, right? It doesn't exist. It will never exist, most probably. Um, in the nearest future, for sure. So, so it's age-related disease focus. Um, what what I would invite you to do is I would kind of offer you to think about longevity in uh, different frontiers, uh, different frontiers of abstraction, if you wish. So the first frontier is what you can call um, kind of consumer consumer adoption frontier, right? So so consumer adoption level, uh, longevity in masses, self awareness, right? So that is something that is happening now. And, and it's happening on the level of us wearing wearables, us being more educated in terms of how to generate actionable insights or actionable interventions into our lifestyle in order to alter you know, certain, certain areas of how we live and, and the quality of our life and how it impacts our well-being in the future, et cetera. 
it's about us getting more educated um, on the supplement side, for example, where if you look at the supplement landscape for longevity, NMNs are, are very popular right now, right? Um, although FDA recently told that these, these are actually drugs in the US, but nevertheless. So, so supplements, um, wearables, data-driven decisions, sort of consumer self-awareness of, of us living a, a healthier life, fasting, whatever. And, and then we're kind of growing the body of evidence around all these approaches and, and trying to figure out what, what works, what doesn't work. All the apps belong in that category as well, right? So, so that's, that's the first frontier. Now, the second frontier is actually the age-related diseases, right? So, and this is where kind of we belong as a, as a, as a venture capital fund. We don't that, that look that much in, into the first one, so we don't really fancy investing in apps and everything, right? We rather look at tackling... Um, diseases that are, again, abruptly stopping us from living longer or from enjoying um, or maintaining the healthy level of our physical and mental performance. So this is where um, you find different types of focuses for VCs. In our case, uh, we kind of invest across two verticals. So the, one, the first one is therapeutics and the other one is non-therapeutics. So for the therapeutic vertical, we spend most of our time in immuno-oncology. And that is um, essentially looking at therapies, uh, early stage therapeutics. And by early stage, I mean preclinical stage therapeutics um, that in one way or another recruit or trigger your immune system or your immune response, um, right? So both innate and, and adaptive immune response, obviously, to fight um, malignant cells, right? So oncology, cancer cells. Um, we spend a lot of time in neurodegeneration, right? So where neurodegenerative uh, conditions, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, MS as well, multiple sclerosis. Um, these are sometimes very early killers of ours um, and, and nothing is technically done where there are no compelling approaches that could stop these from happening. So there are no disease modifying therapies out there. So it's a huge, huge unmet need, only maintenance therapies, which have sometimes have very questionable effects altogether with some patients. So, so that's that. And then the third therapeutic area for us, for example, where we spend most of our time in is epigenetics, epigenetic reprogramming. Um, and this is where, um, I don't know how, how familiar are you with, with epigenetics uh, in general. You um, should assume so that most of our listeners understand everything that is VC talk and nothing yes, so, <laughs> that is life science right, okay, talk. <laughs> okay, so, so, so epigenetics, uh, a very, a very, it, it's, it's actually a pretty simple concept. So, so epigenetics um, has to do with the way of how your cells actually read your DNA, right? Um, and one of the metaphors that I like about epigenetics is this sort of this um, comparison where you, you can imagine that your DNA is something digital and epigenetics, epigenetic layer is something that is wrapped around your DNA as a sort of the analog, analog type of layer. So if you, if you, um, if you make an analogy with um, a CD disc, right, which has music on it. So when, when the CD disc is, is, is new, right, um, all the tracks are playing pretty, pretty well. It's not scratched. The tracks don't skip, right? And, and the epigenetics layer is sort of the needle uh, that, is, that is reading, reading the disc. So as, as you grow older, you accumulate DNA damage, right? You accumulate DNA damage and, and the disc gets scratched. Right, so your your DNA actually accumulates this this damage as you as you grow older, and the needle and the tracks start to skip, right, and 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 the needle 
is starting to struggle uh, with reading your DNA. And, and it's the exact way of how cells, as you age and as you accumulate DNA damage, some cells will lose their capacity to regenerate or to perform certain functions, which they did perform when they were, you were younger and you were more capable of well, rejuvenating yourself in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in a natural manner. So epigenetics has to do, uh, epigenetic reprogramming rather, has to do with a whole body of methods of how to make cells or how to, how to kind of take cells back in time and restore this capacity of cells to read certain genes or even make certain cells read certain genes in the areas of the body where they are not supposed to read them, right? Where, you know, the cells in your liver are reading certain genetic code and then the cells in your lungs are reading, well, you have the very same DNA, but they're reading different genes. So by, by altering these processes of how our cells interact with our genome, um, we, we kind of um, can trigger, reverse, um, or restore certain processes that are lost. And, and this is how we can trigger also tissue regeneration, for example. Um, a very good example of this is the company which we have invested in. It's called Turn Biotechnologies. It's a Stanford spin-out in epigenetics specifically. So uh, one of their first indications was ophthalmology, uh, retinal regeneration specifically, which, which was pretty successful for them already. Um, it's a so-called local delivery. So with, with, when you're doing something in an eye, um, so eye is, is basically a so-called immune privileged environment. Um, and, and it's easier um, to, to, to achieve proof of concept. Now they're going into systemic delivery and, and starting to sort of uh, gather cancer data. But, but realistically, so epigenetics is one of the um, one of the very cool areas uh, where VCs are looking at. And that's, that's still, if you remember my, my definition, like first frontier, so we're still in the second frontier. Now, um, on the non-therapeutic side, um, it's kind of the same disease focus, but it's early detection of these HOA-ted diseases. So it's not therapeutics, it's not early stage drugs, but it's rather very early detection um, of uh, very same neurological disorders, oncology, et cetera, et cetera, um, as well as personalized treatment. Now, some longevity enthusiasts or some longevity sort of evangelists would say that um, we might as well focus most of our time on very early prevention rather than coming up with new methods of how to treat HOA-ted diseases in, in the late stages. Because technically speaking, if you have something in the late stage, you kind of failed to prevent it very early, right? So you kind of failed to, to recognize it very early. So, so prevention and early diagnostic methods are, are a huge, huge area of interest, obviously. We have a couple of investments there as well. So one of our investments, for example, is AOA Diagnostics. So it's a company that does very early stage, um, super early detection of ovarian cancer uh, in women, uh, liquid biopsy, so blood test based, essentially. Um, we recently did a deal um, with a Swiss company, which is called Precomp. Uh, and Precomp does, uh, they're capable of growing a tumor twin uh, of a patient, so they, you can take a biopsy and then you can grow a tumor twin ex vivo outside of patient and test rapidly test treatment combinations and, and see the, the tumor responses uh, on these treatment combinations. And that sort of falls in the category of personalized treatment, a regimen selection of, of oncology, right? Uh, and then a separate block for us is AI for drug discovery. And this is where we have very strong historical connection with Encilico Medicine, which is now the leader in AI for drug discovery in the world, and, and we both basically have a lot of competences in the field. But then again, AI for drug discovery allows you to shorten, um, you know, the, the, the process of molecule candidate selection from two years down to 30 days, 
And technically speaking, with these approaches in mind, we can iterate faster, we can create drug candidates faster, and we can actually throw more drug candidates into preclinical and then clinical validation if we're talking about patient-related diseases. Right? So it kind of belongs in the longevity as well. So that's the second tier. This is where we sit with our, with our focus, right? Um, and then the third tier is, is, is the bit of a sci-fi-ish visionary type of things where we're talking about sort of systemic rejuvenation of the human being, where we're not talking about the patient, but rather taking uh, David, for example, um, as, as a perfectly healthy you know, young individual and rewinding David's biological age. Chronologically, you cannot really do it, right? It's only, it's only one way, but biological age to a certain extent where David is forever, whatever, 25, 30, right? And, and, and chronological, chronological ticks forward and then biological stays the same. The very same, the very same family of methods, for example, with cryonics or cryogenics or whatever you want to call them, right? So it's still sci-fi, it's still very fundamental science, um, very, very unproven. Um, but, but then again, it's the third tier, like the third pillar of, of longevity tech. What, what I, what I would, and this is this is where I'll shut up with my very lengthy answer uh, to the question. Um, where I would put an emphasis here is um, some of the VCs like to do this visionary cryogenic type of investments, et cetera. We have a slightly different logic and our logic is you cannot dream about space travel and you cannot, you cannot dream about, you know, these, these, these huge plans for the bright future before you actually tackle the problems in your backyard. And that is, it is kind of too early to talk about systemic rejuvenation of healthy individuals until we tackle age related disorders. Uh, in a in a comprehensive manner, right? So this is this is where we stand, and this is why we focus on age-related diseases more than just you know, kind of big rejuvenation picture of healthy people. I hope it answers. Ah, Sartre, I love hearing about this, and I imagine that you know, or I can imagine how it works quite well. Um, you know, once you actually get an LP on uh, on on the first call or on the first meeting, because it is a space that is. Um, quite fascinating to, to hear about and think about. And uh, I imagine that, that especially, you know, if you can talk about anything that's a first world problem, well, then it's about <laughs> uh, continuing our stay on this planet, because I think, I think that's probably high on the agenda of most high net worth individuals. David, um, when you hear this, you've been a bit in, in, in this sector, uh, not longevity, but, but health and bio and stuff. What do you think, what does it make you think as, uh, as an LP? It's it's really interesting. So I love the fact that you kind of, Sergey, you kind of broke it down into three areas, and then you know the, the final one being this kind of extending lifetime kind of science fiction like kind of thing. Because that's what I don't like about the longevity space, to be honest, for many many reasons. But it's interesting because a lot of what I did when I when I started working in venture and life sciences was actually focused on chronic diseases, which mm. is almost a similar way to say the same thing, right? It's it's. It's diseases that affect quality of life in the long term. It's, it's diseases that you know, really have a, a humongous cost on healthcare systems as well across, across the globe, right? Europe specifically, but across the globe. Um, so I, I, I do think there's an interesting overlap there. You did not talk about all chronic diseases, though. So I, I think in chronic diseases being like, maybe I'll let Sergey define that for our listeners, but being like diseases like cancer and so on, but others as well. Is that, is, how, how do you think about you know, the type of diseases that you focus on um, as an investor? Um, I think it's, it's, it's a hard one. I don't have a definite answer here, right? Um, in terms of, 
in terms of so so all chronic diseases obviously have have an impact right so ev everywhere starting from uh, you know inflammatory bowel disease so IBD for example which is a which has an unmet need all the way to to diabetic patients etc right so so there are multiple a multitude of disease areas um, what we have done is we kind of focused around those. You cannot be you cannot be holistic. We, we're actually laser focused around several kind of families of technologies and several disease areas which we know best, right? Because this is where this is how you can actually bring most value uh, with your with your capital. So so we we kind of focused around biggest age-related associated killers with biggest unmet needs. Right, um, and 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 maybe even biggest variability that doesn't still doesn't allow us to come up with universally effective therapeutics for these for these uh, disease areas such as such as cancers. Like if you take uh, you know 100 people with seemingly same type of cancer, you know you will get 100 different sets of, sets of mutations for the tumors. Right, even even though the, the cancer type is still still the same. So so we kind of we try to add value where we understand it best. And we try to add value in the most underserved segments where, for example, in neurodegenerative, we are actually lacking a single disease modifying therapy as we speak, right? So um, the, key for us, the key for us is indeed focusing on these very, very few segments. And even in cancer, I, I specifically mentioned immunology. Right? So we're, we're, we're looking at the, the ways, and we believe that's the future. Uh, we're looking at the ways of how you trigger the immune system in one way or another to help to aid right the the clearance process the, the malignant cell clearance process in the, in cancer and and if you look at immune oncology for example you know we have very few drugs in the market uh anti-pd1 drugs so-called anti-pd1 drugs are, are the most popular the most well-known ones right so one is keytruda which is a blockbuster seller for merck um the other one is obdivo which is um, bms Bristol Myers, um, but but that's it. And they appeared; they were FDA approved for 2014, 2015. So, so like it's not even a decade. So, so it's a huge, huge unmet need. And and we still don't know so many things when it comes to immune immune responses and, and cancers. We don't know pretty much anything specific about tumor microenvironment, about how cancer is capable of hiding from our immune systems. And this is this is why our immune systems don't react, right? So why our T cells are so exhausted and they don't don't react to cancer cells. Etc. So, so we kind of we try add, adding value in a very laser focused way. To be yeah. to be completely honest with you, every single every single big chronic disease domain, even IBD, you can you can I, which I've mentioned, right? So inflammatory bowel disease, it's a, it's a, it's tre tremendously nasty thing to have for patients. The quality of life is is really really low for these patients, right? Um, you can build a separate fund around it, like you can build a separate fund that would invest specifically in IBD. Uh, therapeutics. So, yeah, it's 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 really the competencies that we have, and this is how we focus. I have a bit of a completely different question, and maybe also on the light end in terms of <laughs> kicking it up against the other uh, discussions that we've had here. But sure, as a longevity investor, are you yourself or right. anyone you know close to you that are doing the same thing? Also, like these longevity buffs them yourself where you're like, 
okay, I've, you're, I'm not seeing a, one of those uh, uh, rings on your finger, but are you tracking tracking all types of uh, all types of different blood levels? And I don't know what. Uh, and, and you know, super thinking about that. Or do you meet many colon masters that are like that, thinking about performance of the body all the time and that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, right. Practice yeah. what you preach, right? Um, so, so, so I'm a bad example. Okay. The reason I'm, I'm actually, so it's, it's not that I don't have, have rings or anything on my arms. I, I also have a mechanical watch, which is, which is not, not a, not a smart watch at all. Now, um, I, I, so I'm a bad example, not, not because of it though. Uh, I'm a bad example because, um, being, being a rare disease patient, I kind of have my own regimen of, of maintaining yeah. myself which is not necessarily translatable to a human being that wants to yeah. a healthy human being. Right. So I did, um, I, I can actually share, share a bit of, a bit of an insight. So, but, but I did, did a fair bit of biohacking myself. Yeah, so, uh, uh, being a neurodegenerative, uh, neurodegenerative <laughs> patient, uh, what you have is, uh, you are very, very often encountering the, the maintenance regimen, which involves steroids, involves steroids. It's basically where you're constantly suppressing your immune system so that it doesn't trigger any other autoimmune reactions that, that you might have. And, and in neurodegenerative field, autoimmune reactions are, are tremendously nasty, right? Like you don't, wanna, you don't want any relapses. It, it, it throws your life down the drain. So what I figured is instead of doing steroids where, where you can achieve um, the very similar sort of immune suppressive effects is um, by subjecting yourself to constant high level of aerobic I was about exercise. To say you're going to say something along at, the lines of keeping myself super exhausted. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, that is absolutely true. So if you look at the research, um, for marathon runners or professional athletes, you'll see that they, they seem very, yeah. very fit and, yeah, and healthy and whatever, but their white cell blood levels, right. Um, are sometimes yeah. five times lower uh, than, than normal, normal human beings. So their immune systems are suppressed. So if you do this constantly, you kind yeah. of achieve the same effect. So this is what I'm doing, right? So I'm, I'm running, uh, you know, 75, 80 kilometers per, mm -hmm. per week. Um, I do, I do marathons, I do triathlon, uh, whatever. So, so, so I kind of, I, but, but it's, but it's for a yeah, very yeah. specific purpose. Yeah. It's not because of the cliche, like I want yeah. to be fit type of thing, but it actually works for me. Um, you know, coming from a guy who has done steroids, I would say, it? well, you maybe should try it. It's a pretty cool thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking corticosteroids yeah, okay, though, right? The ones, mine, mine the ones that are, the <laughs> not the ones that are getting you buffed, <laughs> right? But, but the ones, the ones that suppress yeah. inflammation. So, um, so that, um, that, that's, that's, that's one thing. And then, but, but for the, for the person that, that just wants to kind of maintain, um, you know, uh, the, the healthy, the healthy level of, of understanding what, what's happening, I, I would honestly offer just two things. A, you really should do regular yeah. checkups. And, and I think our prevention methods, as we speak in general healthcare practice are good enough for you to spot, you know, serious age-related conditions pretty early if you are actually vigilant about it. So that's one. And then the other one, do your, do your genome sequencing, right? So get your genome sequenced, understand, um, we're pretty, pretty, pretty good already in understanding which mutations trigger which risk levels yeah. are you getting something in the future, right? So just understand like, what is your risk map and, and what are the areas you need to spend most of your time yeah. sort of monitoring um, closely, right? Um, so that something happens and you have an increased risk of cancer, for example, 
you catch it early and you can then you can apply a, an adequate treatment regimen and you'll most probably be, be fine so so the, it's it's actually basic it's actually basic things and one of the one of the worst things that you can do to yourself actually yeah. is smoking yeah and, and and seriously like it's it's one of the worst things you can do and and, and it's a completely voluntary <laughs> yeah. choice yeah. that people take like no one forces you to do it, it, it you know be, yeah. people just do it so 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 the other one the other one is is um uh, okay debatable in small doses but you know abuse of alcohol of course etc again very basic known for decades but it is actually very bad it in increases the stress on your cells it, it decreases their ability to regenerate etc etc so don't do basic basic things do basic checkups and just try to know yourself a bit more, even genetically. Like, you know, the cost of genome sequencing has, has dropped tremendously now. Like, genome sequencing is, by the way, the one that is not following the Moore's law, right? It, it's, it's like, you know, the cost has been dropping tremendously over the years. It's now, what, 200 bucks, yeah, yeah. you know, 300 bucks for, for, a, for a fully sequenced genome? You should go. It's incredibly interesting. Uh, and, and then I think that most VCs probably fall in the category of, of course, I want to know, and of course, I want to be proactive. Um, but the general, you know, at least in Denmark, the conversation that we have had in Denmark, uh, uh, you know, on a societal level around genome sequencing is that people don't want to know. And, you know, I, I'm like, well, why, why wouldn't you want to know that you have a high risk towards developing this disease? And then, you know, you, you can track it. And as you say, you can, you can catch it early. Um, it's incredibly interesting. I, I also think it, it though this type of behavior also has a right to exist. It's not rational, but for some people it's the yeah. method of coping. And and that is that is also perfectly fine. And and this is something that is very much observed in patients with terminal illnesses. Um and that is where, you know, cancer patients, for example, uh, kind of do not acknowledge. The fact where, where they, 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 they don't want to acknowledge the fact that they now actually need to subject their life to very specific and very you know radical changes in order to incorporate the treatment regimen and they will not be able to do what they have been doing before etc cetera, etc cetera. so 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 a lot of this has to do with like psychological comfort that we are not ready to sacrifice although Look, um, our brains are wired evolutionary they're wired in a way that if I tell you that in 10 years, something will happen to you. Like in 10 years, you will get this or that if you don't stop what you are doing now. Uh, I will trigger the very same area of your brain, which is getting triggered when you're talking about the person yeah. that you don't know, someone on the street, right? So, so you're, not, you're not associating you know, Andreas today with Andreas yeah. in, 10, in 10 years. Like these are, these are two totally different human beings and, and you don't have anything to do with that guy from the future, right? Um, and, and this seems to be one of the big problems, to be honest. It's, it's how we think about well, it. We've got it, on a, we've got it on a global level with, uh, with the, the planet we're on, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Indeed, That's indeed. True. Guys, um, I, I really enjoyed the, the conversation so far. Um, few people know this, Sergey, but part of the reasons why I actually um, decided to, to do some stuff in life sciences is because my dad passed away with a cancer. So I actually, I love, I love, you know, the role that innovation and capital can play in actually solving real life problems like that. 
instead of just creating a new widget or a feature that I don't honestly give a fuck about. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we always end the episodes with a quick fire round, Sergey. Uh, it's quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you go. ready? <laughs> I, love, I love that you said go even before I asked if you were ready. So let's, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. First question, and you kind of answered this one already, but let's restate it. What areas, technologies, or sectors excite you the most that other people don't really feel that excited about? Epigenetics, number one. Uh, immune oncology, number two. Newer degeneration, number three. These are, I think, sectors of my utmost excitement if we're talking technological areas and nature with the diseases. Yeah. yeah. Second question of the quick fire round is what are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are fundraising, raising their funds? Well, that depends on the industry, right? But um, the top tip is be an added value VC for your LPs as well. I mean, smart capital is a very overused term, and obviously you need <laughs> to be useful for the for the companies that you're investing in, especially if you're an early stage VC. Otherwise, you don't make any sense as a capital provider. But uh, be um, helpful, be useful to your LPs as well. Educate them, provide them with investment opportunities, um, and sort of you know give them access to your infrastructure. Uh, it helps. It it really helps. And then be realistic about how um, what are your targets. Um, don't sort of spray and pray, but try to capitalize on the very exact uh, field of competence that you have where your MVP um, knowledge essentially is. I love that. Ah, great, great tips there. Third and final question, Sergey, what is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've been in venture? The most counterintuitive, the most counterintuitive thing. Um, Best, it's not counterintuitive, okay? It's um, not very well known, actually. Um, best deals in biotech, specifically, best investments in biotech, most promising investments in biotech, happen before anyone actually knows that the company was raising in the first place. So, 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 so the the biggest. The biggest kind of goes back to your tips point, by the way. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest value props for a VC is getting into allocations, getting invited into most promising stuff. Um, so, so whenever whenever you see a VC fishing fishing deals from the market, um, chances are a, a fund is lacking is lacking a proprietary deal deal pipeline, right? Yeah. And in biotech, it's it's the king of the game. Very cool, very cool tip and comes back to the, I really believe in this, VC is all about access, <laughs> right? Mm. That, that's basically it. What's, it's, also, it's also a people's business, flow. by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's also a people's business. You, you always, even biotech in early stages, you invest in teams, first and foremost. IP, yes, but, but teams are, are, are the, at the top, top of the list because these are essentially people that either make it or break it. Yeah, absolutely. Sergey, thanks so much for joining us. This was a very educational session on something that we rarely talk about, rarely think about, but we all should uh, be uh, spending a bit of money and time on. <laughs> Thanks a million, Sergey. Thanks, guys. And I think longevity should actually be number one on our agendas because aging is the number one problem <laughs> everyone has. Uh, disregarding their socioeconomic status, uh, their financial capacity, we will all die of aging or age-related diseases. So let's team up and do something about it. Yeah? 
Sounds like a plan. But thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.